Chapter 16 of Cowboy Life on the Sidetrack. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wayne Anderson, Chelsea, Quebec. Cowboy Life on the Sidetrack by Frank Benton. Chapter 16. Catching a Maverick. One day, while waiting for a gravel train going west, we all got to talking about catching mavericks. Eat-em-up Jake said he'd always been too honest to go out on the range and hunt mavericks. Dilbury Ike said he was too, but he wasn't so darned honest as to let a maverick chase him out of his own corral. And they asked me what I thought about branding mavericks. I told them that I thought it was a bad practice to hunt mavericks all the time, but whenever a maverick came around hunting me up, I generally built a fire and put a branding iron in it to heat. But I told them I would always remember one maverick I had an adventure with, and after they had all promised me not to ever tell the story to anyone, I told them the following. One hot day in the spring of 84, I started across the hills from my ranch to town, 15 miles away. I generally had a a good riata on my saddle, but this day, for some reason, I didn't take along anything but a piece of rope fifteen feet long. I didn't expect to meet any mavericks, as it was uh, just after the spring roundup, and there wasn't a chance in a hundred of seeing one. My way was across a high, broken country without a house or ranch the entire distance. There was bunches of cattle and horses everywhere, eating the luxuriant grass, drinking out of the clear running streams of mountain water, or lying down too full to eat or drink any more. I was riding one of my best hosses, as everybody did when they went to town, had my high-heeled boots blacked till you could see your face in them, was wearing a brand-new $12 Stetson hat that was made to order, had on a pair of new California pants, they were sort of a lavender color with checks an inch square, and I was more than proud of them. I had on a white silk shirt and a blue silk handkerchief round my neck, a red silk vest with black polka dots on it, but didn't have any coat to match this brilliant costume, so it was in my shirt sleeves. I rode along, setting kind of sideways, my hat cocked over my ear, uh, looking down at myself from time to time, and I was about the most self-satisfied cowpuncher ever was. Didn't envy a saloon keeper in the territory, and saloon keepers had as much influence in Wyoming them days as a sheepman does now. And that's saying all you can say when it's known that the sheepmen today in Wyoming fill almost every office, elective and appointive. Well, I had got about halfway to town and was studying but a girl I bid goodbye to in the East fifteen years before and sort of wishing she would come see me now, when all of a sudden I looked up, and right there, not fifty feet away, was a big, fat, black bull maverick. He was about a year and a half old, and would weigh eight hundred pounds. He was wild as an elk, and had given a loud snuff on seeing me, which had called my attention to him. I immediately commenced making that short piece of rope into a lasso. There wasn't much more than enough for the loop, but I knew old Bill, the hoss I was riding, could catch him on any kind of ground, so throwed the spurs in and went sailing over the brakes and coolies after that wild bull maverick. 
I soon caught up with him, but found it almost impossible to throw the loop over his head with such a short rope as he dodged to one side or the other every time I got in reach. However, I finally got it over his horns just as he went over a bank, but before I could take any dallies, he jerked the rope out of my hands and was gone with it. Now I had got to pick up the rope, and as it only dragged five or six feet behind him, I would have to ride by him and grab the rope near his head as I went by, but he was still on the dodge, and I made several passes at it and missed. The bull was getting mad by this time, and lowering his head and elevating his tail, he soon had me on the dodge. Whenever I wasn't chasing the bull, he was chasing me. Thus we had it up one gulch and down another. Many times I grabbed the rope only to have it jerked out of my fingers, but finally got a wrap around my saddle horn and a knot tied. It never had occurred to me that I couldn't throw him with that short rope till I was tied hard and fast to him and riding down the gulch at breakneck speed with that black bull a close second. We had been chasing each other now for over an hour, and my hoss was getting tired, but Mr. Bull seemed to be fresher than ever. I had lost my new Stetson hat early in the game, and as we had soused through a good many alkali mud holes, I was spattered from head to foot with mud. My white silk shirt and lavender-colored pants were a total wreck. But something had got to be done, and watching the bull till he was veering a little to the left of my hoss, I made a quick turn to the right, and stopping right quick, turned Mr. Bull over on his back. Before he could get up, I was off and on top of him, had his tail between his hind legs, my knees in his flank, and, as every cowpuncher knows, I could hold him down. My hoss was pulling on the rope, same as any well-trained cow-hoss would, keeping the bull's head stretched out, and there wasn't the least possible show of him getting up. But as I didn't have any short foot ropes to tie his feet with, I just had to set in his flank and keep tight hold of his tail. Billy, my hoss, had got hot and excited during the race and kept surging on the rope more than was necessary. I kept saying, "'Whoa, Bill!' but directly he gave an extra hard pull. The rope broke right at the bull's head, and despite my nice talk, Billy turned his back to me and started across the hills for home. In vain I hollered, Whoa, Bill! Come, Billy! He never looked round but once, and that was just as he disappeared over the hill. He sort of looked back for a moment as much as to say, Well, you wanted that darn little black bull so bad. Now you got him. Stay with him. And that's what I had to do. He was twice as hard to hold now without any rope on his head, but I knew if he ever got up, he would gore me to death, and there wasn't a tree or rock to get behind. It was about noon. The hot sun was pouring down on my bare head, and I was choking with thirst. No one ever traveled that way but me, miles away to any habitation. There I would have to stay in that stooping position, holding on to that little black bull's tail. I was young and strong, but my back began to ache. My hand would cramp, clasping that bull's tail so tightly, but still I held on somehow, for I knew certain death awaited me if I let go. A bunch of cattle came along and circled around me, with wide-eyed astonishment, then trotted off. A couple of antelope came running over the hill, and catching sight of me in that ridiculous position, their curiosity overcame their timidity, and they kept getting nearer and nearer, till only a few rods away, the old buck antelope stopped and snuffed very loudly and stamped with his forefeet, but not being able to get any response out of the black bull and me, finally left. 
Then a silly jackrabbit came hopping up on three legs, and after standing up several times on his hind legs as high as possible and pulling his whiskers some, he shook his big ears as much as to say, It's beyond me, and he too left. Just then the bull took a new fit of struggling, and I heard the loud buzz of a rattlesnake behind me. I almost dropped my holt on the bull's tail then, but I had acquired the habit of holding on to it by this time, so glanced over my shoulder to see how far the snake was from me. I discovered he was only about ten feet behind me, coiled up and mad about something. He was about four and a half feet long and big around as my wrist and didn't seem to have any notion of going round, but just laid there, coiled up, and every time the bull or me moved would begin to rattle and draw his head back and forth, run out his tongue, and act disagreeable. Several times he started to uncoil and crawl in my direction, but I stirred up the bull to floundering around and bluffed the snake out of coming any closer. Still he seemed to like her company and finally went to sleep, but every time I and the bull got to threshing around, he would drowsily sound his rattle, as much as to say, I'm still here, don't crowd me any. It was now about two o'clock in the afternoon. I felt a kind of a gunness in my stomach, but my thirst was something awful, and in my mind's eye I could see the boys in town setting in the card room of the saloon around the poker tables behind the stacks of red, white, and blue chips, drinking scotch highballs, while I was out on that high mesa dying of thirst and holding down a little black bull maverick with nothing for company but that old fat rattlesnake who insisted on staying there to see how the bull and i come out i hoped against hope that when old billy arrived at the ranch someone would start back with him to hunt me up but i remembered that most everybody at the ranch had gone up in the mountains trout fishing and wouldn't be back till night and then I wondered which would live the longest, me or the bull, and I thought about slipping away from him while he was quiet, but the moment I would loosen up on his tail, he would commence threshing around trying to get up. Still, I kept fooling with him. I'd loosen up on his tail, and then when he tried to get up, throw him back, so pretty soon he didn't pay any attention when I loosened up, and I thought I would try a sneak. However, in order to make him think I still had hold of his tail, I tied the end of it into a hard knot. I looked around for his snakeship, and as I had got to sneak back towards him, but he was sound asleep, and as the bull was pretty quiet, I sized up the country back of me and spied a gulch with steep broken banks about 150 yards away, and made up my mind that that was the place to get to. So, slipping by the snake, I made the star run of my life for that gulch. I had run about fifty feet when that bull first realized some of his company was missing. Jumping to his feet, looked round and caught sight of me, and giving a snuff that I can hear in my dreams to this day, he was after me. Talk about running. I remember a jackrabbit jumped up in front of me, but I hollered to him to get out of the way. The bull caught up before I quite got to the gulch, but hesitated for a moment where to put his horns and sort of throwed his head up and down for a time or two like he was practicing, kind of getting a swing like throwing a hammer. When he got his neck to working good, biff, he took me, and I went sailing through the air, but when I come down, it was on the bank of the gulch, but before he could pick me up again, I was over and under that bank, 
It was about fifteen feet to the bottom and straight up and down, but there was a little shelf of hard dirt on the side, and I caught on there and was safe. He had gone clear over me into the gulch, but was up and bawling and jawing around in a minute. However, he couldn't get up to me, so looking around, found a trail leading out of the gulch and went up on top, then came round and looked down at me. He was mad clear through, went and hunted up the old rattlesnake, and after pawing and bellowing around him, charged him and got bit on the nose. Then he saw my Stetson hat, and giving a roar, went after it, and putting his horn through it, went off across the hills, mad clear through, full of snake poison, with my Stetson hat on one horn, and that was the last I saw of the little black bull. End of chapter 16, recording by Wayne Anderson, Chelsea, Quebec.